Welcome to Dream Up by Burdock, a weekly podcast show connecting you with inspiring Asian American creatives by exploring what they do and the paths that got them there. This is Dream Up. Hi, this is Peter Ashley. Today I'll be speaking with model and DJ Suju Park. She is a global ambassador for Chanel and has appeared in campaigns for Tom Ford, Michael Kors, and beyond. She has also been a brand ambassador for L'Oreal Paris since 2015, when she became the first Asian American spokesperson in the brand's history. Hi, Suju. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. I just want to start off if you could just introduce yourself and tell the listeners what you do. All right. Um, my name is Suju Park. I am a Korean American. I am a fashion model and a DJ. And currently I live in New York, but I'm in Long Island for the moment. And if you could just describe what your day to day looks like pre pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of varies. What I do is very dependent on the jobs that come in. So it's kind of like, freelancing so on the days when i have work or the days before i prepare by going to bed early or whatever i wake up and i go on set i work and then i come back (laughs) (laughs) um but you know it depends on the client and what kind of job it is i could be traveling for work um I, i used to travel very often before the pandemic primarily to europe or asia for work And that used to actually take up a lot of my work life, um, being in different places. And then also there's different medias, like photo shoots could be for an editorial, for magazines, for campaigns, or for promotional material as well. And it could be video or just photos. Oftentimes nowadays, it's both video and photos and the clients that I work for varies as well so yeah it was a very flexible and uh flowing life before and what about now now um (laughs) it's I wouldn't say I'm jobless I I still am working on a lot of projects but they're all done digitally clients will give me instructions or ideas and then I bounce back Um, I would create my own content for it So for instance, I did a story for Vogue magazine online and it was called seven days of working from home. And it it was just like me wearing different outfits around the house, all the clothes that I like to wear. And I had to shoot it myself. So it was almost like doing self-portrait assignment. And then um, I was also working for Chanel and they were doing a week of curation from the ambassadors. So it was taking videos and talking about what my style influences are and how I see style impacts the way you choose to wear things and photos as well and doing interviews. So yeah, it's been a lot of time on the phone, which I don't necessarily love, but I do appreciate that there is still creativity and projects happening and that yeah i'm still working so pretty thankful i just want to go back if you could take us on the journey of how you started your career wow okay 
Um, I graduated from UC Berkeley and I was living in San Francisco after I graduated. I had found a job doing graphic design for a website company uh, after I graduated because I studied architecture and I wasn't really sure about what direction I was going, but since I was young, I've always loved art, design, fashion, and culture. But, you know, in the beginning, I was kind of like, how do I get into the things I want to do? Because I want to do art direction. I want to be involved in the fashion industry. And I don't have a single person in this industry working. So I didn't have any network. And, you know, growing up in the suburbs, and then moving to San Francisco, I didn't, I didn't know where to start. One day, on the weekend, I went to Hayden Ashbury, which is a cool area where they have a lot of vintage stores in San Francisco. And I was scouted while I was waiting in line for a fitting room by a, a manager and a director for modeling agency. And she she came up to me while I was like waiting in line and she was like, oh, you're really tall. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and she asked me how tall I was. I told her how tall I was. And then she asked me for my age. I was 22 at the time. So I said, I'm 22. And she was like, oh, wow, you're you're a lot older than I thought. But uh, if you're interested in modeling, give me a call. And I thought that was kind of a weird intro. And, you know, I've had people approach me and were like, oh, you should model. But honestly, at that time, even like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, there weren't that many Asian models. And it was before globalization really was happening through like internet and e-commerce and all of that. So I didn't really see anyone to follow examples of. But that was pre-Instagram. Yeah, that was way pre-Instagram. And, you know, e-tail was just becoming a thing. I think the thing about Instagram and things, you know, it has its caveats, but it did make the world into a smaller like it made it a lot easier for people to communicate and made it easier to kind of see the other parts of the world. Right. You know, maybe not extensively, but, you know, at least you're becoming aware that there's more to life than your immediate surroundings. Exactly. Yeah. But it was before that. And I, you know, I always had interest in it. I had no idea where to begin. And then um, I decided to give it a try because I thought I had nothing to lose. And with my parents being immigrants and they were a huge component in me being academic and studious and following that route of being what they wanted. You know, they just wanted stability and like a successful life for me. So I did follow all of their respects and wishes. And I was 22 at the time. And I was like, you know what, I've done that. I've been a straight A student and I was really good in school. I'm going to now take a break for myself and see what can happen with this new chance. So did you call that scout that found you? Yeah, I called her back and she, she kind of apologized for commenting about my age. And she was like, you know what? You look really young and you have a great look. I think you're really cool. Let's give it a try. So yeah, I signed with them and I started doing, you know, little things here and there in the Bay Area, which there's not a big market for what I do. So I moved myself to New York and... That was really difficult to just move myself because when I first tried to find representation for modeling, I I didn't have much luck. 
I met about eight or nine major agencies in New York and everyone said no. So I was like kind of heartbroken and shattered, but I knew that I wanted to move to New York. So I just kind of was like, fuck it. <laughs> and then I was in New York kind of going back and forth because I still had a lot of clients that did e-commerce back in San Francisco. And then I met somebody who was a Korean model that was working in New York. And she was like, you know, you should try going to Korea and seeing how work is over there. And I never thought about going back to Korea at that point for work anyway. And I hadn't gone back to Korea for about eight years at that point. I was born in Korea and then I moved when I was 10. I visited once when I was like 14 or 15 and then I never went back. Wow. So I knew that like I wanted to go back and visit, but I figured now with another purpose of it being like a work trip, I could make it sooner than later. So my cousin was getting married in Korea. So I went there for that and I met with a couple agencies there and the reaction there was completely different from what I had faced in America. They thought that I had a really different look and that I could work right away. So then I had a meeting with Esteem, which is a big agency in Korea for modeling. And now they do entertainment and stuff as well. But um, the modeling director met with me and then two days later, she gave me a call out of nowhere. And she's like, um, how long are you here for? And I was like, I'm here for like another week visiting my family. And she was like, can you do this photo shoot? It's for Vogue Korea. And it's a main editorial. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> because I mean, you know, it's a big deal. And so I said yes, right away. I went and did the photo shoot. And they I mean, I was received really well there, which was kind of you know, it was very flattering and amazing. So from there, they gave really positive feedback and they asked me to do a few more shoots. So then I was able to start working in Korea pretty much immediately. And then, you know, that then I realized, I think that I didn't always have to look through like one trajectory. I didn't even know where to begin in the first place. But, you know, I thought like I have to go to New York and I have to be discovered there. And I didn't even know where to start. But I didn't even think about until that point that I might be working better in a different market or a different strategy. Right. Yeah. So then it kind of made me open up to all the possibilities. And I've always thought I, I lived a pretty sheltered life until I was 20 because my parents, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and my parents were very protective, but I've always felt like I wanted to take chances with life and take the risks, especially when I'm younger, you know, so kind of made me really open to that. So then after that, did you end up finding representation in America? Yes, I went back with my portfolio and I had signed with a mother agent. Esteem had this, an agreement of a sort with a different agency that's abroad. And that was Nomad Management that's owned by my now really good friend and owner, Damon Rutland, who started taking over and um, looking over my career. He helped me find a representation in New York, and it was almost like tabula rasa, and I started all over again. And that was in 2012, 13. 
what would you say were some of the biggest challenges you faced while modeling in the States? In the beginning, it was really difficult because I had to compete, you know, for jobs. It would be against a lot of models coming from Asia. And it was also like the beauty standard was not the same back then. They wanted really typical Asian uh, face. And I think my features and my style was different because I'm Asian American and just the way I looked was different. And I didn't feel like they knew what to do with me. That was also part of the reason why I bleached my hair because I was like, well, you know, I want to be who I am and not be in this category where I have to be put in a box. And the best way to fight that system in our industry is to change your look. And the easiest way is to do something really drastic with your hair. So, I mean, it's not like a new rule. I, I, it's not like I invented the wheel or anything, but it was, I realized that it was, um, it was a risk worth taking to just approach it in a different way. And when I was going and meeting, you know, clients and casting directors for the first time, when I had my bleached hair, you know, someone, in fact, he used to be a casting director for a really, really important brand. But when he met me with my bleached hair, new, fresh bleached hair, he was like, oh, I don't know why you bleached your hair. You look so much better with your black hair. And almost like I, I doubted myself for a minute there. And the things that people say to you can really affect your confidence level because you're already feeling like you're on a pedestal and being judged for what you look like outside. You know, the things that people said were not always kind. So that was definitely difficult. And once or twice, people would assume that I didn't understand English and say rude things in front of me or assume that I'm a certain race. I've heard so many people say, oh, like, oh, domo arigato. And I'm like, I'm not Japanese. Right. You didn't even ask me where I come from. Not that it would matter, but, you know, like felt really um, assuming. And these aren't just people, I, I don't know, they were quite influential people. So I just kind of realized I have to be strong and I just have to keep marching through. And I did. And now I think it's easier for me because clients and the people who are looking to book me, they, they understand that I'm, they're booking me for me, not just because they need a, an Asian model. Yeah, a person who looks a certain way or is a certain ethnicity. Obviously, that's still a factor, but, you know. Right. It's interesting you mentioned the features because I've noticed even being in this industry that for the longest time, any time there were models of color, they almost had to look a certain way that felt exotic to the Western standard of beauty. Yes. And only now do you see diversity of looks amongst Asian models and African-American models, etc. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's really interesting because the, the value of the beauty in a face is so different from different cultures. And I don't see myself as an ugly person, but I don't see myself as a typical Asian beauty or typical Asian beauty in the States or typical Asian beauty in Korea or Asia. Right. So... The way it was when I first started modeling in the States, it was like I was unmarketable for them as I was. So I had to go to Asia and they were actually excited by this 
uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really was interesting. <laughs> Do you have any tips or advice for someone wanting to pursue fashion or modeling? I mean, it it's all dependent on what they exactly want to do but for instance if you wanted to be a model it's easy to get discouraged it's easy to feel like you're not going anywhere but you can't just give up like for me it was the slowest burning career in the beginning like nothing happened for three four years i don't know i just felt like i had to continue and i endured it because i had a strong belief that I belonged here and like I had what it takes. So it's easy to get discouraged, but don't be so discouraged. And also, if you are different, you should promote that you are different. I think the industry is a lot more open to uniqueness now. There's a lot more room for everyone, not that it's enough. So that's definitely different. And I think also for people who are like fashion designers and stuff, I think it's really changing as well. Like I have a friend, Jin K, who is a Korean American designer and he graduated from Parsons and I actually walked in his graduation show. And that's how we met when I was just starting to work in New York. I think it was like 2012. And now he works with his partners, Huey and Dylan. And they have, have you heard of this brand? Commission? Yes. They're inspired by their mothers from Asia. They're all Asian American or Asian immigrants in America. And they're all inspired by their moms and like the women from their homeland. And, you know, there's also designers like Sandy Ling, who's a really cool chick. She is inspired by Chinatown grannies because she grew up as a Chinese American in New York. I don't know. It feels like there are ways. I'm not saying that it's easy, but... Yeah, I think the industry is definitely opening up and I think it's really great advice to highlight your uniqueness and difference rather than trying to fit in. Yeah, I really appreciate that part of that phase where I was trying to fit into a category has gone because it was really difficult. But that's the part of growing pains in young adulthood is kind of seeing what's around you and seeing like, where do I belong? And how do I navigate who I am and where I want to go? Yeah, I think that's super interesting because in a way, it's very similar to, I think, a common Asian American experience of growing up and wanting to just fit in and be like everyone else. But as you get older and you become more comfortable with yourself, you start embracing your individual aesthetic and your experiences and your own narrative and that's the most important thing is your individual expression and your narrative everyone has their own and i think along the way i've read certain interviews or like read about certain people and in the industry that really gave me a lot of encouragement maggie q she's an actress and i read an article about her about how she started and she's half Caucasian, half Asian. And she went to Hong Kong to do cinema there. And she said that she was struggling so much in the beginning that she was crying every day at home. And it kind of made me feel like, oh, like it's not just me. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And people like Anna Mae Wong, she was an actress in the 1920s, 30s. 
And back then it was, I can't even imagine the hardship, but she really pushed and promoted herself in that case, like the exotic actress, you know, like as an Asian person. And she had to face so many difficulties. Like she was supposed to be in this role for The Great Earth, which is a big novel from Pearl S. Buck. And she auditioned for it. And unfortunately, at that time, you know, they weren't necessarily having Asians play Asians. So the role went to a Caucasian woman who had then like done makeup and everything to look like an Asian. And she was very pissed off about that. She was born in California, Anna Mae Wong. And then she actually went back to China to get in touch with her roots. And I, I mean, I hadn't read about, about her and her life when I was going through what I was going through, but I read it after and I was like, there's a lot of merit in going back home and connecting to your roots as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Suju. Thank you. Thank you to Mark Redito for the music. Please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And join us next week on Dream Up. <laughs>